Hello everyone, this is Noah and John. We are from Urban Digs. We're talking Manhattan and we got Hillel Freed here from LG Fairmont, Johnny. Yep, looking forward to it. And yeah, we're gonna get right into it. Hello, listen, everyone wants to know what's going on out there, all right? There's total uh, mystery out there. Please start high level. What is happening in the markets today? Uh, the, I would say uh, there's a big misconception between what people are reading about, as you said, because of the lack of data and what mm -hmm. actually is happening. I think that uh, some buyers have, um, are reading about you know, transactions, the amount of volume that dropped by 46%, but that obviously doesn't mean that uh, prices have dropped 46%. Um, and just in general, there is indeed a huge cloud on what actually is happening because A, as I just said, uh, volume has dropped incredibly. And I do see that almost on a monthly basis, the climate is changing incredibly since, let's face it, also with COVID and around the world, it's now even changing weekly. I mean, tomorrow, uh, some zip codes are in boroughs in Manhattan and um, you know, Queens and Brooklyn are going in lockdown again. So it, it obviously goes hand in hand with the news that's happening. Um, so in this, that, yeah. I'm sorry, I was going to ask you, in this fluid environment, right, it's, it's certainly a fluid environment. Um, are you noticing most of these changes on the buy side with your buyers? Are they, I mean, do you have buyers that are active and all of a sudden out of nowhere, they're like, you know what, I'm just going to take it easy. Um, so first of all, I, I see it does affect buyers and sellers um, very much, but in obviously different ways. On the buyer side, I can tell you that just two weeks ago, I had buyers who were incredibly interested in a property, but they suddenly, they just said, we're going to wait 90 days because we do forecast that the market will be going down more. Uh, but in general, I do have to say this, there is an influx that we're seeing in transactions on our end is obviously data that will unfold in the next few months because the things that are just happening right now, accepted offers, signing contracts, right. things that are not visible yet. Um, so I think people have gotten to a very interesting point. Um, if you want to go to the historical narrative of the last six months, there was a beginning of COVID. People didn't know at all what was happening. Everyone anticipated prices are going to drop. And um, ironically, during those three months of the lockdown, there were there were some deals that have that were you know that went into contract. And they ironically actually didn't go into contract for such incredibly low prices. And then as we got out of the lockdown, the um, inventory in the market just was, just was incredible. There was yeah. complete inflation in, in apartments. Um, and that's what I think everyone started testing the water. So I would say that June, July, uh, well, the end of June, July and August, were relatively a bit quieter, not from our point of view as brokers. I've been mm -hmm. very busy with going out with buyers, yeah. but not, but without people yet pulling the trigger. They wanted yeah. to see what was going on. And that's now, what the data shows. I mean, because supply, just, just to reiterate, supply, to put a number on it, back in, in, in late June, it was at 5,000, right when you were talking about it. And then it skyrocketed up, and we're at 9,300 right now. So, I mean, we're up about 90 some odd percent over that time period that you're describing here.
it's incredible. Even like if we just take Upper West Side, I don't remember seeing so many hundreds and hundreds of condos and co-ops, one bedrooms in Upper West Side, for instance, in the longest time. So at least since I've been doing it in data that obviously I've been reading about before I started real estate. So um, getting into it. Uh, what about the sell now, side? What, about, what are the sellers thinking? So sellers, I think the sellers that have gone on the market, the vast majority of sellers, I'm leaving the high-end luxury aside for a minute. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of sellers are real sellers to begin with. If you're not a real seller, there's no reason in the world to list today. So the right. fact that you are a real seller, um, I think they also had to hit that learning curve in the, you know, in June, July, August. And we're just seeing now more and more reductions in price, especially as winter comes in. We're reading about um, second lockdown starting in November. We're reading probably, I've been hearing this, I'm not a scientist, but I've been hearing it um, throughout different um, outlets media that in February, we're probably going to go into a third lockdown. So winter is not looking too good. And I think sellers who want to cash out, they want to move on, they need the money, um, they don't want to rent out their apartments. They are now actually reducing prices. And this is exactly why we're in a junction that um, we're just seeing now more and more actual transactions. People are actually mm -hmm. making that leap and understanding that now's the time to lock in things. I, and I don't think this is going to last forever. Yeah, I no, think I, that in the winter, we are going to see this uh, trend. Well, I think... Yeah, sorry. sorry, go ahead. I, I just want to jump in there because I think you made some some interesting points. Um, number one, the, the idea that if you're selling now, you're a real seller. Um, and that sort of, you know, hits hard with a lot of the fact that a lot of buyers just aren't, aren't pulling the trigger for whatever reasons of the second lockdown, third lockdown, it just a number of layers of uncertainty. And I'm curious that when these two things come together, and the negotiation side, like what sort of deals are you running into in terms of, you know, listing discounts, things like that? What, what are, how far are these real sellers willing to go down um, in order to get a deal? Okay. I'll give you a great story. Um, there was this uh, property listed at 2.1. They lowered it 1.8 due to COVID. We went back and forth two, three weeks. Again, that's to get the learning curve of the seller who already had it a bit, but he saw it live. Because again, people are not getting that many offers. So every offer, nothing is insulting. Um, I managed to lower it down in the end to around 1.525. So it's 15% on top of what um, he already discounted. So in other words, um, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing you know, how sellers are implementing on that. On the other hand, just two stories, one that happened that is happening right now in the last 24 hours and one that happened to me two weeks ago. Um, uh, it's about two apartments in the Upper West Side. Sorry, one is Upper West Side, one is Upper East Side. It was dry. Nothing happened. Buyer got all excited. We went in. We even had them reduce the price suddenly. When it rains, it pours. There is an influx right now. And out of nowhere, because the seller already lowered it so much, people are then willing to pull the trigger. They're just watching. They're good hunters right now. Yeah. And they were willing to pull the trigger. And suddenly I'm finding myself in the midst of a pandemic needing to um, compete with two, three other offers. And suddenly it's going for roughly around ask. Wow. So it's not that it's a boiling market. The ask is obviously already very soft, but nonetheless, 
you have to be very careful with that notion that buyers sometimes come in where they could just, no matter what the price is, they could get that reduction. It, yeah. it, it, you really have to look at everything in context like you always do, but especially now. Yeah, right. and, and, and you know what, John, we're hearing this. We heard this from another broker that there was a, 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 a deal that looked like it was in place and looked like there was an accepted offer and then they lost it. Like, yeah. and then we just heard about that. I mean, but, but you tell that story and then you told the story before of the two one down the one five. I can imagine there's confusion. If, any, if anything, people need to understand this is a highly segmented marketplace right now, even more so with no volume, right? And a lot of this is a function of the asking price of the seller. You know, so that that two one of that seller was clearly was an opportunistic seller and they were just testing the market kind of thing, as opposed to this last example, which it looks like the seller priced it kind of right. And look what happened. Right. So so it's actually I think it were two extremes. The seller in hindsight was unrealistic. And the first example I gave, but that's because there's no data. So he thought the two one based on other comps was actually right. right. He lowered to one eighth, but the one eighth, honestly, mm -hmm. if I was their broker in that specific case, one eighth sounded not too bad, but it you doesn't know. matter. The comps keep on regenerating yeah. themselves. I would say on a weekly basis. Yeah. So and that's going to, and that's going to lead to a very, a lot of, a lot of volatility and confusion over the next number of months, number yeah. three to four or five months as the rest of the COVID deals come through. Johnny. Yeah, Cause you know, the, I think one of the, and, you know, some people have talked about this, how sort of, you know, comps have a sort of a self-reinforcing problem as, as the market goes up, the comps go up and then the next set of comps are higher. Uh, same thing on the downside. Yeah. But, you know, listen, Halal, I think you talked about something really interesting there. And I, I'd like to talk about with comps, with this lack of data, how do you approach, how do you talk to a seller about pricing in this market? I mean, how do you, how do you start that conversation with, guess what, you're going to have to take a cut here and it's not what it was. So first of all, John, thank you so much for um, for asking that question. Basically, with sellers, um, we first look at prices. Definitely recent comps. I like seeing what happened a year ago at this time. I like seeing what happened uh, just around COVID. So let's just say six months ago. And the trend in that specific building, if there are comps, and um, in the neighborhood. So, and, and, and making sure that at each stage, the reduction in price percentage-wise have come through. Because if not, and or things are just our competition, not even comps, whoever we're competing with that is almost today, I would say just as important, even if not more important than comps from three months ago. It's who my competition is and how long they've been on the market. So that is crucial to see where we should price it. Let's just say price per square foot. Another very interesting method that I have picked up for the last month, month and a half, is I actually go to the prices to um, when they bought the property. Now, for instance, just give a few um, examples to make it a bit more vivid, but let's just say Upper West Side, Upper East Side. One other way to check um, if we are in check from our current market value is that we don't price it or it shouldn't close, I should say, for a higher price than 2014, 2015. You go to Washington Heights, it shouldn't close for more than 2016 sales. If you go to Bushwick, where it appreciated much more uh, percentage-wise um, in, in recent years, you should roughly go back to prices around 2018, maybe the end of 2017. So that's just another way to be in check and see if that also aligns um, uh, with 
your pricing and how the market is going. So it's ironically looking back at, at comps that we used to snob completely. Someone said to me, um, what, a year ago or two years ago? Oh, but he paid so-and-so a few years ago. I say, that's <laughs> in New York City, that's irrelevant. Now it's more relevant than ever because we are seeing trends in every neighborhood in general that are the prices have been going back a certain amount of years. And it's a great way to um, have a checkpoint. Yeah, I know. I like it. You know, one of the things that we like to stress when doing comps is, is absolutely stress relevance over recency. So if you, if you can take something that's much more relevant now, even though it's from a market several years ago, it, it's just a much better comp because it really it much better, does a much better job of capturing the sort of the dynamics in, uh, in play. Um, but let, let me shift for a second. And I, you know, we didn't really talk beforehand here, but I, I'd like to get your thoughts on the rental market. Um, any color you got on the rental market or what's happening, discounts, concessions, anything there? One word, terrible. I manage a lot of uh, uh, portfolios for a lot of clients of mine with a lot of property. Um, I can tell you contrary to, well, in general, I'm not happy when I get a vacancy from clients of mine just because you know I want them to succeed. Um, now I'm at, um, it actually makes me sad. Uh, there's just way too, too many vacant apartments. And I do see across the board 20% uh, reductions. It could be uh, usually in free rent. Many times it's actual reduction in price. Uh, owners are just desperate. The even bigger problem, I would say, is even when they lower those prices, there's simply not enough people to occupy all these apartments. Look today, again, if we want to give... Uh, uh, an example from Upper West Side, you're looking today at around um, almost 400 vacancies of one bedroom apartments below $2,500 in the greater Upper West Side. It's, it's unimaginable yeah. when, yeah. when you're, you're looking at these numbers. It's unbelievable. And, and simply in an obviously array of reasons, not just jobs, it's, it's the lack of students in universities. Um, you know, the bread and butter of those type of apartments and that pricing in general. So it really is um, bad. I think, um, and I've seen this, you have to be a bit just more, a little bit more risk averse as a owner um, to take people that yes, are qualified, but that are not that classic 40 times the rent. You're gonna wait for that. You're just gonna bleed for a whole year. So again, not taking just anyone, especially with the whole eviction issue and all that. So you're not stuck with someone and you have to go to court on top of having a vague, um, on top of not having rent paid. But nonetheless, um, you just have to be a bit more aggressive today if you don't wanna lose money. Yeah, you're echoing what I'm hearing. And you know, at some point you gotta think that the deals get to a level that it, it brings in the demand to kind of equalize. Um, uh, yeah. I don't think we've reached that that inflection point. I mean, you mentioned the inflection point with the, with the sales market, which which I love. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, but I mean, John, we're we're looking at that rental market very closely now because because they're related. And I mean, if the sales market's going to start to form a bottom and get past its volatility, we need to see the rental market start to stabilize and form a bottom and and kind of start to recover. And that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, what, that's, that's one of the things we've talked about. Rentals, they just move much faster than sales. They faster. Lead sales in terms. So if you have a lot of rental vacancies, clearly, and the prices are getting cut on the rent, rental side, it, it doesn't augur well for sales. But I, I will say that the fact that rentals do move so fast, I mean, listen, 400 vacancies on the Upper West Side, I mean, with a change in environment, they could be, they could be filled instantly. Yeah. I mean, that's something that, you know, that could change over time. When we go into, um, I guess in this case, not fire sales, but fire rentals, 
everything in the end can be occupied. But I mean, there's also, there's a stage where it's just like it, it, for owners, they're literally losing money, even if they're occupied uh, yeah. between their liability. So, and that's the, the main issue. So uh, I'll just give you an example. Uh, I have a listing um, that we used to, we just got a year ago, $3,900 in a luxury um, uh, building, a one bedroom in Midtown East. It's now 3,100 and it's a struggle. Yeah. I mean, these, I, things, I, these things fall, they fall quicker than they rise when they fall. And this, and in this environment, it's going to, this is what's going to happen until it finds its way, you know? And yep. I mean, there's, there's thousands of stories like that, that are out there. Um, yep. I mean, and, and measuring it's difficult because you got the net effective, like you said, you got the discounts and you got the concessions, which is hard to kind of track, but I want to move on. I want to move on. We're running out of time. Um, Hillel, this has been really, really interesting. A nice different take. I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to get short, quick answers from you. Lightning round. Lightning, Lightning round. round. You're dealing with a stubborn, unrealistic seller. They want X. You think it's worth Y. Do you take the listing or not? Yes and no. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it basically, <laughs> it all depends where. I had this. Someone, I think it's worth 420 $430. He thinks it's 550 Waste of time. Um, on the other hand, I also have to be considerate. And I can't just expect a seller who doesn't have the experience that I have day in and day out to know what I know. And sometimes they need their learning curve. So I'm willing to take it upon myself for let's just say a month. And if we don't get anything, which I am usually right about, um, then that's when they have the learning curve. If they're still not learning from it and they're completely you know, um, uh, adamant about it, I could say, look, at the end of the day, there's integrity here. Um, it's just not, you know, I'm an advisor. I can't, I, I, I don't, I'm never gonna promise something I can't deliver. So in that case, it would be a waste of time. So that's right. my, my, turn, my turn. My turn. I got one. I got one. All right. Same thing, but on the buy side, you've got those buyers who are like, yeah, we totally want to buy, but we're not in a rush. It might be now, might be a year from now, two years from now. Do you bother with buyers who are not quote unquote, a buyers who are hitting the accelerator? So that's a question that I think is always right for real estate, regardless to COVID. The answer is strictly yes. Um, I always say I'm not here for the race. I'm here for the marathon. Uh, you know, some people need to take their time. They need their patience. This is not a pair of shoes that they're buying. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just going out with them or, or sending them updates and slowly they get their learning curve until they're, they're comfortable. I don't see anything wrong with it. And for people who are, this is for first time buyers, for people who are already bought and they're more averse in the market, they even more so, they also know what they like and what they don't like. Yeah. So I believe in streaming along. This is different than representing a seller. Yeah. And those, and those secondary buyers that buy for a second and third time, they're so easy. They do their own thing. And then when they're ready, they just bring in the, your analysis and your consulting. I used to love yep. that part. Okay. We're getting to the last question here. Who, who is more unrealistic? Hello. Who is more unrealistic buyers or sellers? Buyers. Buyers are more unrealistic. Buyers think now, the market's down just... 20%. It's really only down 10%. Exactly. Uh, because sometimes you see there's, there are a little bit of sellers who are unrealistic and they then have to um, drop the prices so much. And then the other buyers see that and say, wait, I'm only getting 7%. I want the 15, 20%. But they're not looking in context of right. how they price it to begin with. So, so it, it, it's very easy to spoil this amazing momentum in this market 
And that's where buyers sometimes get way over themselves. And as I started before, they're reading all this data, but it's not in context. Just because volume drops 46%, it doesn't mean prices are dropping 46%, as we all know. I that love it. Great answer. Thank you so much. This has been a fantastic 20 minutes. Thank you so much. That is Hillel Fried He's from LG Fairmont. That is John Walkup. I am Noah Rosenblatt. We are from Urban Digs and Talk in Manhattan. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much. Cool. All right. Hello. Thank you very much.